so awesome. So awesome. Picturesque speaks to us. Jesus. Wonderful Jesus. Yes. Last week we had the, <clears throat> the lesson on the most significant holiday, which was Christmas coming up. And now, I know religion would argue and different denominations would argue and some says it's this month and some says that month and some says this week and some says that day. But what makes the reality of it is the very moment that you accepted Christ into your heart, that was the day He becomes significant. And that's what's most significant. Yes, the Lord desires we as families, we have festivities and friends and, and the food and all the things that we do is good. But we should, especially as believers, we should remember the most significant part of Christmas is Jesus. Okay? It was His birthday. That's the most important part. Thank you, Dan. <clears throat> that He would come to die so that we don't have to. Isn't that awesome? God came to be real in your hearts and lives. It's You know, you can go to church and you can become a member of a certain denomination. You can shake the preacher's hand. You could work in the church. Do whatever you do. Give of your tithes and your offerings. And that's all well and good. It's all important. But the most important part is to become a member of the church of God is to accept Christ into our hearts. That's the most significant thing that you believe. You weren't there 2,000 years ago or give or take a few years. But faith, faith goes back and revisits there. That's what God gave us faith for. That we can exercise it. Faith is no good unless it's exercised. And you exercise believing. And that's like in life every day. How many knows every day is not significant to the point of the way you'd like it to be? <laughs> How many has every day the way you'd like it to be? No. No. It's not. It's not. Every day, some days you wake up and you wish you wouldn't have woke up. You'd rather stay in bed. But because of Christ, it makes the day significant that you know that you know that you know above all things. One day this life is all going to be over. It's all going to end. And that's like the song that was sung here about the cross. You know, it's the most significant thing that we understand the work. It's not to worship. We are not to worship that wood beam. That's because that's all it is, a piece of wood. The significance of it is the man that hung on that cross and why he hung on that cross. Yeah. That we know he come to pardon us. And that's so vital that so many people don't realize, you know, they live through this life and so many people have a great potential in their life to do something of great significance, but they waste it all in, a, in an aspect. It's not wasted as far as you receive for your efforts of what you do in life. 
But the most important thing that you share your faith with someone else, that you tell someone else, your co-worker, your neighbor, your spouse, somebody different. I remember when I gave my heart to Christ, I, I belonged to an organization from a childhood on up to a teenager. Uh, we were raised in the United Methodist, right outside of Red Line. And we went there till, I went there till I was a teenager. But there was no significance there that taught me that Christ was the most important thing. I didn't know that. I thought water being baptized was, or joining the church was, or doing, uh, putting forth your gifts and talents in the church to help the church run smoothly. How many of you know it's nice when your life runs smoothly? When everybody chips in and we work together as a family. I know when I was growing up, there was, uh, you can turn with me while I'm jibber-jabbing here, to Exodus chapter 12, if you would. I'll read a few scriptures there. Exodus chapter 12. But when I was growing up, there was eight in our family, and everybody had a significant place in life. Now, we were not forced to do what we were expected to do, but we were asked, dad and mom would ask us, would you mow the yard? Would you clean the garage? Would you pull the weeds in the garden? Or whatever needed done, we were asked by our parents to do that. And if we, you know, we had nice parents. Not everybody has, can look back and say they've had, I hear some horrendous stories of families and they don't understand why their, their parents was abusive to them. And it's mostly because of a person's orphan heart, because it's at the downward spiral. The great-grandparents was abusive, and the grandparents, now not all of them, was abusive. And then the parents became abusive. And then when you grow up, you kind of become abusive. And when I say abusive, I'm talking about verbally. People will be sharp or harsh, because that's all they knew all their life. <clears throat> And I thank God I didn't have to be raised in that type of homestead. But we were all expected to do something. When we, when we did, our parents maybe labored. My mother, she stayed home most of the time and raised us as children. But my dad was like a workaholic. He was gone all day. and uh, <clears throat> I had what you call an absentee father. He wasn't there to really father me, to play a game of baseball with me or to buy, watch me ride my first bicycle, or to take me fishing, or whatever. The first time I think my dad offered to take me fishing, I was grown up and married, and I think I had a child. And my dad showed up at my house and wanted to know if I wanted to go fishing. <laughs> because at that time, they had to work to support the family, and it was legit, you know. But to children, they don't understand that. Because to have a, a balanced home, you need a father and a mother to make it appropriate. Am I, am I correct? Can I, can I hear an amen with that? Amen. Fathers have their position. Mothers have their position. Now, like I said the other week, I can remember sometimes if we did do something wrong or didn't do what we were supposed to do, my dad, he was a big man. He was like 6'6", 280 pounds, solid muscle. And he wore this big black belt. 
that you had this image, you never forgot the belt. And it was like three, four inches wide. <clears throat> and it was more intimidating than anything because our, our parents was not abusive, so don't, don't take me wrong in what I'm saying. They were good parents, but that's part of life, the discipline, because it's biblical about disciplining your children. It's not about breaking bones and making bruises and cuts and all that. That's harsh, and we're not talking about harshness. We're talking about a good relationship between children and their parents. And I know my father, when he'd, he'd always walk up to us and put his arm around our shoulder and say, and look us in the eye and say, now this is going to hurt me more than you. Well, as a child, the first thought that went through your mind, you're saying, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, because you couldn't grasp what he was saying until you grew up, until you entered marriage and had children. Then you understood what he was talking about. And I knew what he want, had to do and what he wanted to do was two different things. He had to discipline us if he expected his children to be raised right or proper, whether or not uh, he didn't want us to latch out or latch back, that we had respect, that we was raised with respect. And today we can see with the lawlessness that we have in the different nations, the disrespect that children have for their parents or for the law or for other things. So I want to read some scripture to you today. The title of your lesson is Christ the Passover Lamb. And the scripture clearly says when God sees the blood, He said, I will pass over you. In other words, judgment will not come to you and yours and your life and your family when God sees the blood. He gives us the criteria. He does not say when I see church membership. It's hard. It's not difficult. People make it difficult. Organizations make it deep or difficult, and it doesn't have to be because God does not say, when I see you, I know the church we went to, they, they'd give you a number. Everybody had a number, and they'd have a little box they'd give you the beginning of each month, and the box had your number on that you paid your tithes and envelopes in that box every month. And God didn't say, when I see the box with envelopes, I will pass over you. Or when I see you uh, have a meal or be invited out to a meal with a pastor and his wife, I will pass over you. He said, when I see the blood, that's not difficult. When I see the blood, the blood applied is the only criteria that God gives us for the sinful life that we were. Now, some people will try to justify their life, and rightly so, that we think we did nothing wrong. But... The thing is, when you enter into the fallen world of Adam and Eve, that their disobedience was the trespass of sin. So the DNA of that, spiritually speaking, went down through the eons of times from generation to generation to generation. And what they did was they give their characteristic or their nature over to Satan that they would obey what he said because if you read the collection in the beginning of Genesis from the outset or the standard that God set, he come through the garden in the cold of the day and he walked with Adam and Eve and he communicated. 
The first thing Adam heard was the voice of his spiritual father. Hello. That was the first voice he ever heard. But until the enemy come to deceive him, and the enemy wanted to let him know that how do you know God's not hiding something? How do you know God's telling you everything? Because it's a life of faith that we have to live by. It's not about proving does God exist. Does it prove where God came from? Does it prove God was always there? The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in your faith. When you believe that He exists, He will come and make His abode in you. He lives within the hearts of people. And then the criteria is that the Spirit will speak explicitly because that's where He lives now. His dwelling place is not way out in the heavens somewhere. It's not on a cross anymore. It's not in the tomb. But He come and He rose so that He could dwell within you by faith. It's by faith that He... Now it's not in the human reasoning. You can't sit down and study, 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 study till your head falls off till your skin turns blue. And you'll never understand all the mysteries of God because you're not supposed to. It's by faith that you receive the things that matter. That what really, does everybody understand what I'm talking about? Am yes. I talking to No. Does everybody grasp that clearly what I'm saying? So your faith from the beginning to the end is a faith book. It's about faith believing. I believe that I will trust God. See, pride, pride trusts in self. I don't need no help. I don't need no education. I don't need my parents. I don't need my spouse. I don't need this. I don't need that. That's what pride will say to you. I, I don't have to go to church. And stuff like that. That's the type of things that pride will dictate to you. But grace gives you the ability that God gives to you that you cannot do yourself. You understand that? You cannot work your way to heaven. You can clean the church spotless. You can always be number one with your hand up when pastor needs help. None of those things, they're all good in their presence, but none of those things will earn your way to heaven. It's the born-again experience of accepting Christ into your heart is the first part of the beginning. And then after that, then you should want to treat your spouse properly. You should want to treat your children properly. You should want to treat your co-worker properly. Now that doesn't mean it's easy you don't want to because there's those type of people you'd rather slap than smile at. Am I the only one? I'm the only one. I see some no and I see some double hand. I've had that in life. And as you grow, your patience and your faith work together through prayer. And when you pray, you have to have a prayer life. How many knows that? How many of you are in here married? And you know, if you never have much communication with your spouse, your marriage is probably not going to last too long. You have to have communication. Okay, that's like the Heavenly Father. He wanted a family. So he sowed a seed. We read to you last week in Mary's womb. Supernaturally, he put the seed of his son. He be, he's a spirit, the Bible says. And to come with us, to be with man, 
To die on the cross, He had to become flesh. So He come to live in the flesh of His Son to die on the cross. So He planted a seed in Mary. Nine months later, Mary gave birth to a son. And the prophet said that all that ahead of time, He prophesied that this child would come. It would be a man-child. And he said he would be the redeemer of the world. And that's what he is. Now back in, in the Older Testament, <clears throat> you read where Abel had a lamb for person. Then later it became a lamb for a household. And then Jesus became the lamb for the world. It's everyone. He didn't leave no one out because he said in his word he would that none perish. Nobody has to perish. Nobody has to stand before God and give an account of what Jesus already paid for. It's only in our ignorance that nobody tells us that we have to by faith humble ourselves and believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for whatever it was. None of us can go through this life and say we never had a horrible fault. We never had a horrible implication Come on. You may have never got drunk. You may have never done drugs. You may have never robbed a bank. You may have not done none of those things. But just the fact that we negate what God did for us on the cross is sin enough. Because that has to be forgiven of. In Exodus 12, 1-3, and the Lord spoke and settled to Moses and Aaron. Notice the Lord always comes, the voice of the Lord. In the land of Egypt, saying. <clears throat> now you have to understand, you have to study the text for yourself. I can't do all that in, in one service. But in Egypt, Egypt was bondage. It was bondage to the Israelites. They were all shipped down to Egypt to be slaves to the Egyptians. And you and I, the world to us, spiritually speaking, is Egypt. And you are enslaved to sin of some type. That's what, symbolically, that's what this scripture is saying. This month, in verse 2, he says, shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, no matter what month, what day, what week, he was saying as the day that he's speaking, he was putting it into position that this day, this day, shall be a new beginning. And whenever somebody introduced Calvary to you and the crucifixion of the Christ, which is not Jesus' last name, Christ means the anointed one in the Greek. The interpretation of that is Jesus the anointed one. If you want to speak it in layman's terms. Speak ye there unto all the congregation of Israel saints. See, he's speaking. The message was to God's people. You are God's people. When you become a Christian, you become God's people. Because he said he would extend this beyond Israel because Israel did not want to accept him. He was going to give the Gentiles, 
which is all the other nations of the world. We're not Jew. I'm not Jew. You're not Jew unless you were born a Jew. You're Gentile. You're of the other nations. So he said this would be extended to all the nations, to the Gentile people, so that they could be included in. See, God didn't want to let nobody out. He always kept doing something to get closer to people. When Jesus came, He walked with people. After Jesus went back, He said, I'm going to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. You got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now the Muslim faith believes that we have three gods. We have one God and three representations. That's what it is. Each one had a, a position they had to fill. God is the Spirit. He's sitting on the throne. He always will be on the throne. He's not going to go anywhere. He's not on vacation. He didn't fall off. He doesn't have amnesia. He's there. You just need to learn to talk to Him. When you communicate to Him. That's like me. You could say, well, I don't know if I like Pastor Tom or not. or whatever. Yeah, did you get to know me? Did you sit down and talk? Did you shake my hand and say hello? And, and you know, everybody thinks you've got to <laughs> shake their hand first. Hello, you can come and shake my hand. I'm, I'm no different than I, I'm human. I'm just like you. I had to have Jesus come into my heart. I didn't do this because I went to Bible school somewhere. I did it because of the call of God on my life. And Jesus said, when I went away, I'll send a comforter back to you. And it'll be just that, a comfort. He will be a comfort when you're in trouble. And you feel very heavy or very oppressed. The oppression of the enemy, it says Jesus come with the anointing to break that oppression. Whatever that oppression is. Maybe you've been dealing with a health issue for a long time. Maybe you've been dealing with trying to find a good paying job for a long time. Maybe you've been dealing with children that went crazy for a long time. And you're trying to deal with that and the heavy oppression comes on you that you feel that. Now, how many's ever felt that when you dealt with something in life very heavy? I've seen my daughter raise her hand and I know why she raised it because she's been serving God probably 20 years or more and she's waiting on the salvation of her husband. And that gets heavy and you say, when God? When God? Like you, brother, you said you're waiting for that better job. Maybe a couple weeks, couple months. She's been waiting 20 years. Sometimes we don't understand all why. And the main thing is God will not force you or coerce you to do. Did God force anybody here to come to church today? Did, did, any, did the angel, one of the angels come down and drag you out of bed? No. Nope. Now I'm being a little facetious <laughs> with you because uh, the enemy will like to put those implications in our mind, you know. And, I, and I'm not called to do that. I am not called to put pressure on you to serve God. I don't want to do that to coerce you into serving God because that doesn't mean anything. It has no implication to it. But when you give God your heart, that's your innermost being. The innermost being. What is on that throne? It's nice to make a good life here. But when you leave this life, what is the good life going to do you in the life to come? That's what God's saying. It's good to get an education. It's okay to go to college. It's okay to be a CEO of your own business or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is to have the priority to say, I can lay this aside. 
I can put this on hold and I can go in my prayer chamber. Now, I don't know where your prayer chamber is. Maybe it's on a stool in your bedroom. Maybe it's on a recliner when everybody's gone and the phone's off and the TV's shut down. I like to shut my phone and stuff off. I don't like to be disturbed when I'm talking to my Heavenly Father. And once you learn to do it on a basis, how many of you eat normally every day? Maybe some people eat one small portion for breakfast. Maybe some people eat a piece of toast for breakfast and a juice. Maybe they eat a bigger lunch or maybe no supper, whatever, you, whatever your uh, desire is to do. That you do these things. But how many knows if you read the Bible and it says you are a spirit, that's who you are. If my body would fall to the floor right now, stone graveyard dead, I'll live on. The real me, my spirit person, will come right out of my body and live forever. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches. It's not what my organization teaches, that's what the Bible teaches. And you instantly you'll go to be with God. Okay, and my soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. They will go with me so I'll know where I am, I'll know why I am, <laughs> and I'll know what's to come. Okay, but this is dress rehearsal. This is the time to get it right. This is the time for the pastor to tell you how it is now, some people get upset with pastor, and that makes my job not so easy when people get upset at you. But when you know that you know that you know that you're telling people the truth, because the key is, I don't, I don't get no rewards from you for preaching false or preaching truth. I get my reward when I stand before God, and he'll say, did you tell my people what I told you to tell them? Did you tell it right? Then I won't have a second chance. I'll have to either say yes or no. I can't fabricate something that I didn't do. So it's important not only that uh, that you like me as a friend or as a pastor, as a leader, but you like me because you know in your spirit that I've told you the truth. You know, I liked a couple weeks ago, Sister come to me, we were chatting a little bit before church, and she said, you know what, Pastor? She said, this is the first church I've been in. She said, I think it's 12 or 13 years. Wow. And that's sad because it tells me that she was a church hopper, or like some call them racehorse. They race from one church door to the next, or one organization. Evidently, they may have been teaching you a portion of truth, but not the whole truth. The whole truth is what sets you free. When you know the whole truth that covers the whole man, you have to have the whole truth for the spirit, the soul, and the body. You have to be taught the whole third. John 3, 2 says, Beloved, it's speaking to his children. He said, Above all things, I wish that you prosper. He's talking about financial prosperity and be in health even as your soul prospers. See, your soul has to prosper. If it doesn't, you lack what it takes. Okay, so he said to tell 
the whole congregation, and the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, and according to the house of their fathers a lamb for a house. But then he extends it from there to the new covenant where we have a lamb for the world, and that's Jesus. Genesis is a recording of the fall of mankind, while Exodus is a recording of the redemption of mankind. So at Jesus' death, it symbolized leaving the world. What he did when he died and they put him in the tomb, he left this world, spiritually speaking, to lay all the sin nature behind. So that when he resurrected anew, that's who we become. We become new creatures in Christ. When we accept Christ, that's what communion's all about, that we're about to partake of. The, the communion sacraments, they are nothing more than symbols. What's inside that them dishes is nothing more than symbols. Don't let nobody else tell you any different. You do not gain salvation by taking those sacraments. I can give it to one person and they can drink every cup that's in there and eat every piece of the monster bread that's in there. And it won't make you any more saved than you did before. How many understand that? You agree with that? But some, some teach otherwise. I know they teach otherwise. And that's a mystical teaching because it's not true. It's not biblical. It's faith faith that goes to what the sacraments represent. And that's Christ that hung on the cross. I know some people today, they like far out teachings. They want to know what's in Revelation. All the mysteries of Revelation. What's going to happen? What's it going to matter? You're not going to be here 